Amen. Well, um, I just, before we start the message, I want to just add something to what Jory was sharing about um, that history hinges on this fact that God became a man. And sometimes we say that during uh, Easter, that history hinges on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And that's true as well. But if there was no incarnation, there would have been no crucifixion and resurrection, right? So it began with the fact that God's love was so great that he was willing to enter into the creation to take our sin debt, to give us his righteousness, to live that perfect life so that we could, that he could exchange his righteousness for our sins. That's the, that's the wonder of, of Christmas, is that he was willing to do that, willing to enter into his own creation. That is a mind-boggling, um, I, I don't know how you really explain it fully, it's just God. <laughs> and you have to just go by faith, wow, that's amazing that God would do such a thing for us. Um, our text today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. And last night I explained that in this passage, in these couple of verses, there are seven he wills. And last night we did he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Today we're going to focus on he will be great. But let me read those verses to you. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. So he will be great. Those were the words of the archangel Gabriel to Mary. It's part of the angel Gabriel's speech that we call the Annunciation. And the sight of those magnificent angelic creatures, whenever we see them in, in, in scripture, usually the person that they're addressing falls on their face and in Revelation and other places, they even have to be helped by the angel just to stand in the angel's presence. They're so, their presence is so overwhelming. That, so I think Gabriel must have uh, dialed down the glory <laughs> to be in Mary's presence because he knew that she would be too overwhelmed. And yet, even though he probably dialed down that glory so that she could withstand looking at him and, and listening to him, he still had to tell her, do not be afraid. Gabriel was declaring that the baby in the womb of Mary would be great. Now, it's a simple statement but it's a profound statement and it is an understatement. Mer many men become great in our eyes, right? We have people that we admire, whether they're athletes or uh, selfless politicians or maybe some evangelist that really gives of themselves. But in the eyes of this supernatural being, this, this archangel, what is greatness? What, to, what would be great to him? The spirit through the prophet Isaiah used a number of other expressions to describe this one that was coming. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
That sounds about as great as you can imagine, amen? What's greater than mighty God, creator of heaven and earth, everything visible and invisible? On this side of Jesus' earthly life, though, we, we can look back and see a little bit of what just what was so great. What was the angel referring to as greatness? And it's definitely not the kind of greatness that we would have imagined had we been in Nazareth there with Mary and heard this annunciation. We may have imagined a powerful prince, um, maybe someone that could lead an army and expel Rome and expand the nation to its former glory, or, or perhaps a great rebel like Samson only in control of his emotions and desires, but that would have been short-sighted. The angel was speaking of something much greater. Jesus was so great that he needed no royal position that the world offers. In fact, he could be born in poverty with a feed trough for his bassinet, and even that wouldn't hinder him in the least. He would be raised in an insignificant town in the hill country of Galilee, labor as a stonemason for 30-some years, and that wouldn't bother him or hinder him. He could do little of any worldly significance for 30 years of his life and still be the most influential person that ever lived. This kind of greatness needs no outward trappings or circumstances or conditions. It comes from within. The greatness of Jesus began to be revealed from the very start of his ministry. Greatness is obedience to God from the heart. Jesus began by going to his cousin John to be baptized, and even John couldn't comprehend why. He said he wasn't unworthy to tie the, untie the Messiah's sandals. So how could Jesus be asking for a sign of repentance, which is what John's baptism was? John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Only then did John consent. And a sign of just how great Jesus is immediately followed. The Spirit came down like a dove upon Jesus, and a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 700 years before Isaiah predicted that God would give us a son, Unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given. What had Jesus done to this point of his life to receive such a heavenly acknowledgement? But to humbly ask to be baptized. We know of nothing else except a, a time of questioning and answers with the rabbis in the temple when he was 12 years of age. How could he be so great that heaven would open, the spirit would descend, and God himself would declare his love and pleasure in him? His greatness was in his very nature. Not in anything he had done to that point as a man, just as Gabriel predicted. God called him son of the most high. The most high called him son of the most high. 
Greatness is not so much in what you do. Yes, a great person will do great things, but they're great first. Action flows from being. God was well pleased with Jesus before he was pleased with what he did. Those of us who are not so great tend to turn it around and think, if I do great things, I'll be great. But greatness comes from within. Those miracles of Jesus followed the greatness that he was. Jesus had been great from all eternity past. His incarnation didn't change anything. But it is instructive for us to see that greatness waited 30 years in obedience to the will of his father before making a significant act. Imagine the patience, knowing you are the son of God, right? In the temple, he said, he, he told his mother, I had to be about my father's business. He knew who he was, and yet he waited 30 years. The first act was one of utter humility in associating with our need to repent and be changed. He was the only one ever born who didn't need to be baptized, and yet, as our perfect example, he submitted to baptism. He showed us the way of humble obedience. He was also great in not doing what he could do. Did you ever think of that? Instead, he always waited for the direction of his heavenly Father. Immediately after the baptism, he went into the wilderness on a 40-day fast, and he was tempted there by Satan. Greatness can be tempted, but greatness does not yield to temptation. Greatness uses the word of God to be guided in the way of truth. He resisted shortcuts and any other way but that which his father led him in obedience to God's word. He was great in his ministry. The bulk of Jesus' time spent training 12 men, not an army of soldiers, but ordinary men of common occupations, plus a couple of dubious ones, like a tax collector and a zealot. But why these 12? Scripture tells us it was because he spent all night in prayer asking the Father who to choose. Greatness looks through the eyes of God and sees what man cannot see. His greatness was seen in three years of patient instruction, dealing with their misconceptions again and again, demonstrating what true greatness is and does. I suppose that was the minimum amount of time required to retrain people like us whose ideas are so distorted by our fallen nature if it took Jesus to train those men for three years, how long do we have to patiently endure discipling those in, in our care? Greatness was seen in his words. The soldiers who came to arrest him went back empty-handed and said, no one ever spoke like this man. <laughs> Numerous times it was stated, they marveled at the words that came from his lips. His great words came from his listening ear, for he only spoke what he heard from the Father. And yet he was so great that he allowed many to reject his greatness the, and the greatness of his words. The people of Nazareth, the Pharisees, Judas, Pilate, 
all heard the greatness and turned away from it, rejecting him. And we should learn that if our words are to have any greatness, we must develop a listening ear and take time to exercise this ability daily. We must also be patient with others that reject any manifestation of the greatness of God in the words he gives us. His actions that proceeded from his greatness were indeed evidence of just how great he is. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised to life. He is the great restorer of all that sin has robbed us of. He could restore a crippled man's nervous system as easily as he could calm the waves of Lake Galilee. He could not only enable limbs to function, but instantly give the ability to use them to their full capacity with balance and control. That kind of greatness defies imagination. He's great in compassion, as is God, who saw and heard the cries of the children of Israel in the captivity in Egypt. He saw the hopelessness of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. He saw the agony in the face of the rulers of the synagogue whose daughter was ill. And he saw and felt the pain of the widow of Nain as her only son was dead. He saw and felt and cried with Martha and Mary at the loss of their dear brother Lazarus. As the great deliverer of Israel, he delivered them from their agony because his compassion is great. He made great claims about himself. He said, I'm the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate of the sheepfold. No one has come down from heaven except the son of man who came from heaven. I came to give myself a ransom for many. No one knows the father but the son. Before Abraham was, I am. I and my father are one. I came from the father and entered the world and now I'm leaving the world and going back to my father. Whoever believes in the son has passed from death to life. Amazing claims. In the mouth of anyone else, we would consider them the ravings of a lunatic or an egomaniac. But in the mouth of the humble Jesus of Nazareth, it rings with credulity. His love is great. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he proceeded to do just that. Even on the last day of his life, he washed his disciples' feet. And he taught them that the, as long as they were able to remain awake and pray, he poured out his life for them and then he poured out his lifeblood on the cross for us. And he was great in his death. Even the thief on the other cross came to recognize the greatness and was given the promise of life. Offered a pain-deadening drug, Jesus refused to take it. With legions of angels ready to deliver him, he refused to call them to assist him. Alone, he bore the sin of the ages of man from the fall to the last scream of rebellion at Armageddon. He took the wrath we all deserve so that justice might be met and that we might have the author 
of life, give us life. In agony on the cross, he met the needs of his mother. He quoted the scriptures from Psalm 22. He finished the work the Father had given him to do. He handed his spirit into the hands of the Father and declared the work complete. Even the hardened centurion at the foot of the cross said, surely this must be the Son of God. But his greatness was about to be fully displayed. In death, he took the keys of death and hell. And in a glorious burst of greatness, the likes of which the world has never seen, he conquered death itself and rose victorious. He was great in conquering death. That greatness nursed the heart of Mary Magdalene and encouraged the frightened disciples. He patiently appeared again to resolve the doubts of Thomas. Thomas recognized the greatness and declared, my Lord and my God. For 40 days, greatness ministered in a resurrected body, appearing here and there until they all were finally ready for him to depart. In greatness, he ascended into heaven. Why do we never tire of this story? It's because it is the greatest story ever told. He shall be great, the angel said. But the story doesn't end there. He was great in keeping his promises not to leave us as orphans, but to dwell in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He's great in doing the same in us today patiently discipling us, training, to walk, training us to walk in his ways and teaching us to follow his great example, to listen and obey, to take up our cross and follow him. What great patience. He's great in making a beautiful bride for himself from such raw material as you and me. And what great promises he gives us as well to transform us into his own image, so that we might be like him. Why, he even promises to share his glory with us. How gracious is that? How great is his power towards us who believe? The same great resurrection power that raised him from the dead is working in us to transform us to be like him. That great power will transform these lowly bodies one day to be like his glorious power by the same power that he uses to subdue all things to himself. He's still exercising his great patience as he waits till all things are put under his feet. The day is coming when everyone will recognize his greatness and at the sight of him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the greatest. None compares. There's no higher name on earth or all of heaven, for he is King of kings and Lord of lords. When Gabriel said, he shall be great, he said a mouthful. His greatness is in who he is. He is great in love, great in patience, great in compassion, great in justice, great in power. His claims are great because he cannot lie. His promises are great because he alone has the power to bring them to pass. True human greatness is only found in being a faint echo of the great one. So let me close these thoughts 
on the greatest one that was ever born with Psalm 145. There the great the psalmist attempts to tell of the greatness of God. Would you stand with me while I read it to you? Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give you thanks, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom's an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Upon his resurrection, he was declared to be begotten of the Father. The prediction of Psalm 2 came to pass. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Acts 13.33 tells us that was the day of his resurrection not of his birth in the Nazareth, but or in Bethlehem, but in his resurrection. Because rising from the dead was a rebirth like ours, but to the title Lord to whom every knee will bow. We will bow to his righteous judgment, his judgment on our lives. It all hinges on whether we accept his gift of salvation or refuse, his forgiveness, and cling to our pride and self-reliance. The greatest choice we can ever make is to accept the Great One as our Lord and Savior. An angel told Joseph to name the baby Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Is there any reason that you would not accept him as your Savior today? The day that we celebrate his coming to redeem us. Our worship team had to catch a flight uh, to go home for the holidays. So we're going to do something different at the close. But first, let me give you the benediction.
the Lord bless you and keep you. Turn his face towards you. Make his countenance light upon you and give you his peace.